Welcome college football junkies. It's the show for fans, from fans. Now here's your host, Scott Cobio. Welcome junkies. And today we're going to talk about all things Georgia Bulldogs, Athens, Georgia related. I'm joined by Donnie again. Donnie, thanks for joining us. What's up, everybody? How y'all doing? I know we had a, a pretty interesting discussion this past time with with Donnie, and he's a huge Georgia fan, so I figured I'd bring him in on this episode um, when we're going to talk about nothing but the Georgia Bulldogs. And I know a lot of people have been asking for this, so we decided, well, unfortunately they're out of the playoff talk, but they're still in the spotlight when it comes to recruiting when it comes to you know what what's going to happen next year and who's going to end up staying and uh those that are going to end up you know heading over to the to the draft potentially and getting you know drafted in some of those top spots um but first i want to tell you real quick about my find donnie i told you a little bit about it um you know via text message um well we, we went shopping and everybody does it uh right here at christmas time but we had pretty much done all of our shopping and we were just kind of looking for deals we went over to Second and Charles. Don, you know where that is, right? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, over there by my favorite wing place because I definitely go there for the wings. <laughs> well, Second and Charles um, is more like a, a bookstore. They got games and a lot of other little things for kids, but it's like a sell, buy, and rent type of store. Kind of, it used to kind of like Books a Million. If everybody's ever heard of that, uh, but anyways, we were. My wife loves to read, and you know she was drug me in there to kind of look a couple of books and. You know, you do what your wife, happy wife, happy life. So you go in there and do what she says. Anyways, luckily she took us there, though, because while she's over here looking at, uh, you know, some of these other stuff she likes to read, um, I was actually looking at some of the sports books. Happened to come across a shelf. And when I say a shelf, this was like a, a four foot by like six, maybe, of just college football. So in total, it was probably like 12 books. And uh, so I go start looking through them and I found the book by Vince Dooley called Dooley's Playbook. And, you know, obviously Vince Dooley is huge for, for UGA. I mean, he took UGA to the only national championship, gave us a Heisman winner as well. But the playbook itself was interesting because it, it kind of went through about 32 different plays that he thought was probably inf- very influential when it comes to the Georgia Bulldogs. Anyways, long story short, Started flipping through it, uh, looked on the back cover, saw it was like $12. I was like, you know, I'm not paying $12 for a used book. That's not happening. So I go to put it back down, but before I do, I look in the front, and guess what I find? A autograph by Vince Dooley saying, enjoy the playbook. Jesus, man. Right. So, so now, what do I, it's worth, worth it now. Right. So what do I do? First thing I do is what anybody does. You go to Amazon or you go to – you know, Google type in the, the name of the book and then, you know, signed autographed copy of uh, from Vince Dooley. And I start seeing like eBay and Amazon and some of these other like third party bookstores having it listed for. Well, some of them had them as high as like three hundred dollars, but the lowest was fifty eight dollars. Now I can understand, you know, mint condition, never been used, probably in a, some type of case is worth a lot more. But a used one, even $58, and they had it for 12 I was like, come on, you got to be kidding me. Did she let you get it? Oh, there was no <laughs> there was no question about letting me get it. It was more or less, <laughs> <laughs> you better go pay for it right now. <laughs> yeah, when you find something like that, man, grab it. <laughs> well, I even asked the cashier, I said, you know, I'm curious as to how, how this happens, you know, the process of, them bringing in the books and you know you looking at them you just and he, she was like yeah people just bring them in and we uh give them money for it so I, I have to assume my wife brought it up later that somebody just made a mistake maybe you know their husband died grandfather died or something they just said hey we're going to donate all these books and didn't even look through them to see if they were worth anything i have to assume that was the case but i think i got one from there before I can't remember which used book, but it had a signature in it. I had to look through my books because they're all packed up, but it had to someone. So to someone, you know, same thing, enjoyed a book. And I cannot uh-huh. remember who signed it. That was crazy, man. I just couldn't believe that that was that. I, I honestly, it was like sitting there and my, uh, like a light hit me. And I was like, Oh, stay day or what? Like <laughs> my birthday. Oh, yeah. It's like finding a good game, too, man. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. One of those uh, rare games. That's that's exactly like it. Something that you know you remember playing as a kid, and you haven't played it since you were like ten. Oh yeah, those are nice. Oh yeah. Well, we'll get into Kirby in a minute. I want to talk about the Georgia Bulldogs, but I want to mention you know Kirby's obviously out on the recruiting trail right now. Uh, players getting ready for the Sugar Bowl, but you know fans seem to to question at this point the return of Fromm and Swift in 2020 neither of them have you know said anything about it other than hey we're going to wait until uh the end of the sugar bowl to make our decision what do you think about that Uh, that may end up even though we've recruited you know good running back good quarterback that may end up hurting because now with the transfer portal these kids can just say hey that wasn't what i wanted and boom gone and Kirby could talk to them as much as they want, you know. But if these kids want to go somewhere and play, they're going to go somewhere and play. Yeah, that's true, especially if if they decide to end up staying and then the people that are saying, hey, you know, I, I think I can go play at Georgia now. Well, now you can't play uh, or they won't even, you know, choose Georgia uh, when they enter that portal. So, yeah, that's a great, that's a great point as well. Because, you know, it used to be, hey – these freshmen knew there's a chance they may get redshirted and they're just going to kind of be there for that year to observe, see what's going on, see how the team flows. Now they don't even want that anymore. This, they want to go in there and just play as a freshman or they're leaving. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I think the kids coming out of high school too feel the same way because they come out of – and they're playing at such a high level in high school that they come into college and they, you know what, they they can just start out, um, you know, playing their freshman year. So – I mean, look over there, Trevor Lawrence, he came in and, and played. I mean, Fromm did too, though, you know, came in and immediately decided he was going to go ahead and play. So that, uh, yeah, so that's a great point for sure. And then I, I think we, my Roomba just started for some reason. Uh, there's a couple of, I think there's a couple of possible uh, commitments Georgia may have out there, and they're waiting to maybe make their commitment after the All-American Bowl. I think that's where all the high school kids play. Yeah, no, I did hear the same thing. Yeah, yeah, two of them actually, five-star, aren't they? Yeah, I think five-star, and they're, uh, they're on the radar for Georgia, like on highly on the radar for Georgia. So, I mean, we may possibly have two more high-rated recruits out there. Yeah, the two that you're talking about um, that are kind of on, you know, high on that radar are um, the. Let's see, I'm. I know I got their names here. Oh, Darnell Washington and uh, Keely Ringo. They both show a 92, 93 uh, percent. They're both five stars. One's a cornerback, um, and the other one is just shows as an athlete. Darnell Washington. I was looking at some of his tape, and both of them. Um, really more, you know, Washington looks a lot like, you know, a great wide receiver, but he's played both sides of the ball. You know, a lot of times in high school, you do that because you're such a great athlete, but I mean, he's, uh, he'll come into Georgia and they'll, they'll put him through the paces to find the right position for him. Well, you know, at Georgia, if you're, if you're a wide receiver, you got to know how to block too. So that'd be, that'd actually be a great pickup. Well, you know, if he's if he's played defense, if he plays both sides of the ball, he'll be a he'll be a great blocker on on the. And if he can catch the ball, I mean, you're not only looking at somebody that's going to be a great round receiver, but somebody that could potentially look at becoming a great special teams player. Oh yeah, yeah. and that's all always going to come in handy. Oh yeah, we I, I think I know everybody in Athens is missing Miko Harmon. He was so explosive when he ran the ball back. It was like every time he caught it, he could go all the way. That's if they kicked it to them. They learned. Yeah. Uh, teams learned after the usually one or two kickoffs to them. Stop kicking yeah. Miko. Stop kicking to Miko. That's, that's exactly right. I want to point out real quick, we'll get into a couple other things, but the Sugar Bowl um, tickets, I don't know if you noticed this or not, are just $6. Now, that's the starting uh, to start out. That's up in the you know nosebleed sections. Uh, and But that's before taxes and fees. But still, I mean – you know, six dollars to go, even just to be there, is a great. That's a great price. Yeah, I mean that's that is definitely very 
very, 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 very cheap for any kind of ticket. And I think on the secondary market, it's like $4. But even then, you know, like I say, you it's in New Orleans, so you got to take into account whether you're going to drive gas or you're going to fly uh, the ticket prices. So, I mean, and, and the bad thing about it is that you got to work the next day. You know, unfortunately, it doesn't fall on a weekend this year. So, uh, as far as New Year's, that is. So, you, you know, you're looking at having to go to work the next day. And it is a prime time eight o'clock that night game. It is, yeah. So you're not even going to get back. You wouldn't even get in the car or the plane until probably midnight. Um, so unless you got some leave time, that wouldn't even be worth it. No. And and another thing, tickets. It's it's Baylor. They they just got on the radar. You know, probably the last couple of years. That's why I kind of a lot of people kind of like, eh, Baylor. Yeah, they put up a good fight against Oklahoma both games they played Oklahoma. I think the first one really showed how they've come from year over year. Uh, you know, Oklahoma had some real good tape on them, which is funny because typically when you look at teams playing each other back-to-back like this, the same team never wins. It's always one wins, one one you know matchup, the other one wins the next matchup. So it's kind of funny that Oklahoma ended up winning both. Yeah, I I guess they're just Oklahoma, you know, the pedigree and the better athletes on that team. And it just shows with games like that. Well, they've always recruited at a high level. So I think Oklahoma's, you know, even year over year, they're going to be a competitor no matter uh, who's the head coach. Uh, I don't see them dropping off. They'll be a, a top, you know, 15 team for years to come. Oh, yeah. So we'll get into the, you know, Sugar Bowl here. Uh, is the next segment. And, you know, the dogs, 247 has reported the betting lines have changed from nine to 7.5. And I think that's mainly because of the offensive tackles and some issues on the injury side. Now, I know Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson, you know, they're going to skip the bowl game, prepare for the NFL draft, which I, I totally agree with. That's an offensive, you know, tackle. You you kind of have to. Oh, you don't want it. That's, those, those guys get injured and more times than any other player on the team, uh, mainly because they're, you know, hitting pads yeah. pretty much on every every single play. And then we have um, Ben Cleveland and um, Lawrence Cager and Dominic Blaylock, which who will all be out, Ben Cleveland for some academic issues and Lawrence Cager and Dominic Blaylock for some injury. I have a feeling, even though Swift won't be on the injury list, he'll be limited. I think his injuries, you could tell in the SEC championship, he wasn't played a whole lot. So I don't think that he's going to play much in his bowl game either. Just to be active, he'll probably go out and run a couple of plays. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, if depending, he'll probably make a game time decision on the draft or not, I believe. And then that uh, kind of tell us how he's going to possibly go in that game. I could see him maybe – if he decides to stay his senior year and he's, you know, pretty healthy and he wants to go out there and play, he's going to play. But if he, you know, if he's in his mind, he's like, hey, this is my last season. I'm sure he'll, he'll be having a talk with Kirby and the rest of the team and just like, you know, I'll run a few plays, but I don't want to risk my career coming up and get injured. Yeah, and it happens a lot. I think we're running back. So, if he's already got something that's hurting him, not necessarily that would, you know, stop him from playing, but if it's a pain that he's having as far as a muscle pain, then I would, if I was him and, you know, hey, I said, eh, it's a possibility I might go to the NFL, I probably would take very limited snaps. But unfortunately, it's going to leave from with limited uh, targets. I mean, you know, he's got Cook and he's got Zamir White, but, other than that, I mean, he's only got Pickens as far as wide receivers, Pickens, Robinson, Simmons, and Landers. Uh, as far as the top, he's got some other guys that they're still working through, but we've only seen these four throughout the year. Now, thank goodness Pickens didn't do anything to suspend himself for this game, so he'll be there the whole time, and I, yeah. and I have a feeling he's going to be his number, Fromm's number one target. Yeah, I mean, Pickens, even though he's a freshman, he's showing, you know, he can be that go-to guy for for any quarterback, really. His name, though, is perfect. It's like Pickens, and that, that boy can pick that, that ball out of the air. Oh, yeah. But he's just got to stop the one-handed catch. 
Yeah, I think the coaches have told him to put two hands on it. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, fans are probably also having some flashbacks of last year. You know, we, you know, it's the second year in a row we've uh, the Georgia team has went to the Sugar Bowl, and you know, last year they didn't really show up. Now they did have some missing players on the defensive side, which are DeAndre Baker, Jordan Davis, and and DeAndre Walker. So those were influential players on the defensive side. I think that's why, you know, Georgia fans are probably like, I'm a little worried about this game. Uh, Well, last year was more of a, uh, we still kind of had the hangover from the year before with Alabama and then it's watching it happen again. It was just, it was just heartbreaking again. And it was just kind of like the heart wasn't in that game. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think that, it's a different type of loss this year than it was last year. You kind of had a heartbreaking loss, you know, last year with Alabama, but this year losing to LSU the way, you know, they lost it. They're going to have a different type of taste in their mouth. I feel like they probably most, you'll have something to prove and come in with a chip on their shoulder um, as opposed to being just kind of let down the previous year. Yeah, I, I believe it's going to be letting you just show we can go out there, and, you know, still play. Let's show we're not just these three people on the team. Let's show them we're a team as a whole. Yeah, and if anything, it's also going to help from it. Uh, it could hurt or hurt helping really in the draft. But if he comes out and he shows the from that played against like Notre Dame or played against like Alabama last year, um, then, you know, it's going to help his draft stock. But if he comes out, stale like he did you know last week then you know it's not really going to help him but I think he'll have something to prove he's been practicing I really think that game versus LSU if the first three throws I think it was that he threw that were on target were caught that may have changed the momentum throughout the entire game so if he can come out at the Sugar Bowl throw those throws and they're caught man it's going to be a different game it's going to be a different from yeah and that's of course on our receivers getting off their blocks. That's something I hope they've been working on between these games because that's a big part. You know, that's that's a big part, and I, I'm going to put that on the OC of these receivers get off the blocks and go through their progressions. Yeah, and I think that comes with experience too. You know, when you talk about kids and how they develop, uh, it really will help him, especially Pickens specifically, uh, and other wide receivers, but getting out there and getting that game time experience will change that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Georgia and Baylor, I don't know if you know or not, have only met four times ever. I mean, in all times of versus teams, it's crazy. I didn't think that – I figure they had met at least, you know, a dozen times, but it's only four, and the last time they met up was 1989. Is that long ago? That long ago, I know, right? And and the meetings, all of them have been in Athens. So this is the first time uh, that they're meeting on a neutral field, the first time that Baylor has ever been at the Super Bowl, and the first time that, that Matt Rule and Kirby, which are both defensive mind coaches, have ever went face-to-face. So low-scoring game on that possibility. It's a very good possibility. So there's a lot of firsts here, and I think both teams are going to come out and say, you know, what, what are each other throwing um, at the players defensively and offensively? I, but I think defensively, it's going to be one of those uh, types of games. Uh, maybe not necessarily a struggle game when we talk about the ending, but I think first and second quarter, they're going to get a feel for each other in the beginning. And I don't think uh, I don't think anybody's going to score. It's not going to be a crazy score like uh, 42 to 17, you know what I mean, at the end. It's, it's going to start out real slow. Oh, yeah. We're going to, you know, it's going to be field goals and, a lot of three and outs probably on this one. Well, hey, that only helps your boy Nerd. Who, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's already putting a lot of numbers up, up there in Athens, so I think he's just going to add to that number. But for some reason, he's got the hiccups too. Uh, the last game, he got hiccups inside the dome, you know, where I predicted he would be strong. He, for some reason, struggled. Yeah, and I think that that just comes with, you know, the type of pressure he's receiving as well. With as many kicks as he's kicking, you can't expect him to be perfect. Uh, so I think I think he did the best he could, and 
you know, I think he's going to have something to prove as well. I'm sure he's been putting in a lot of practice, a lot of kicks. So we'll see what happens. Now, the, yeah. the key matchup there, we talked about the defense, but both teams really have been struggling not only on offense. Georgia's been kind of struggling as well, but so is Baylor. But the injuries have plagued both teams. Chaos loves the injury bug. <laughs> yeah, the, the chaos uh, in the injury field has plagued you know, Georgia, we know that because we've seen, well, the the SEC championship showed us, what, like five or six injuries? It felt like almost back-to-back. It felt like almost every place somebody was going down. Yeah, it was, I agree it with was, that. It was getting sad. Yeah, I agree. Everybody was going down. It seemed like it was sad. Well, the key matchup, I think, in this game is going to be, we talked about the defensive side, but I think the major – matchup here is going to be Baylor's safety uh, Graylin Arnold he's actually the fifth in the nation uh, with six interceptions now he's he's going to likely face up against Pickens so you know with Pickens being kind of new and he's a freshman he's going to be facing off against Baylor's safety who's very very uh, experienced he's had a lot of playing time and he's really been the star for Baylor um, probably one of the reasons why their defense has been so good against the pass oh yeah and uh I mean, that's what we struggled against with LSU. I mean, we two or three interceptions in the SEC championship game. Yeah, yeah. So if, if Pickens is covered up like gravy on mashed potatoes during Christmas dinner, then UGA is going to have no, no other answer, really, unfortunately, because Baylor's going to stack the box. They're not going to leave very many holes for uh, Georgia's really inexperienced running backs to run. They're calling now, I will say, they're calling for Zamir White to be a Heisman candidate next year with as much playing time as they expect him to get. But still, I haven't really seen – I haven't been real impressed, honestly, with his running ability. Yeah, I haven't – this year I haven't seen him really have that spark like you've seen with Chubb and Mich- Michelle. You know, that's that spark of run you would see. And to have – you know, the line like we're supposed to have, be able to push around people. I don't know. Yeah, the offensive line, I mean, you know, they talk about as big as they are. They weren't real – they didn't have a whole lot of agility. No. And I don't know if it's – they're so big they're blocking our own line or the de- defensive coaches are actually using that against them and making them bunch up and blocking the line. Well, I think that they're a lot of the guys are expecting the run, so they're stacking the box. And with Fromm not having anybody to throw to, they're not worried about it being tossed over their head. Not, you know, a lot of the commentators point that out during the game, but it really came to fruition this year because I tell you, Swift really didn't have a whole. He had a couple of big games, but that took you know Georgia running it and consistently, you know, getting stopped, and then eventually they just finally got one. Yeah, I mean that. Didn't have his usual usual games of 100-plus just every game, you know, hand it, hand it to him. You know, he's going to get a big run. No, a lot of those were one-yard runs this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, but we'll see. I mean, I don't think – we talked about it earlier, but I don't think Swift's going to come back. You know, I I may have to eat my words down the line, but, you know, with, with Fromm – you know, he could go as five or six in the as far as QB goes, the fifth or sixth QB in the draft. If Eason doesn't go into the draft, that can move him up. Um, but and I've heard other rumors about Eason coming back to Georgia to play his last year, and you know, I don't really know about that either. Yeah, I mean, it's we won't know until fall next year how to how the cards fall. It's a long time, I tell you, college. College football season's got the longest offseason out of all the sports, and it is the worst. Yeah. It's the best when it's around, but it's the worst when it's gone because there's nothing else. It just goes so quick, too. I'm just – you know, we all, we're almost now looking at maybe a dozen games left, I think, or maybe a little over a dozen. But, man, I tell you, I felt like it was just September and I was feeling – like fiending for, for football to start. And now it's just like, ah, I'm going to have to wait. After these 12 or so games are over, I'm going to have to wait another almost a year for another one. And then you hope you end on a high note. That is the best thing. You don't want to end on a sour note. 
We won a high note this year. That is true. I agree. That Baylor win is what, what Georgia needs 100%. So, well, let's turn our attention now to the recruiting trail. Uh, UGA right now is at the number four overall recruiting class uh, for 2020. They have 19 commits, including two five-star commits. Uh, they're 18 points off the lead right now as far as jumping up to the number one, uh, which Clemson currently holds. We have um, – let's see. It looks like we have a linebacker, Mikhail Sherman from Washington, D.C. Uh, we have Tate Rutledge. Everybody's heard of him out there in Rome, Georgia. And then we have a hard commit on a five-star – um, offensive tackle Brondrick Jones. So I'm hoping with those three, and then of course we have the two I mentioned earlier, the two five stars, Colleen Ringo and uh, Darnell Washington. Now, if you add those five in there, that puts us at about number two, uh, depending on who Clemson picks up, if, if they pick up anybody. But, you know, I think those three to four people, even if we don't pick up all five, could be a great addition to that offense oh yeah and uh it's positions we actually need and uh, a lot of people are kind of complaining about kirby not getting a lot of in-state talent this year but you know he told him he goes where the talent is and there wasn't a lot of positions he needed that were from within state this year so he had to go out and actually go out to the other states and recruit, and it still shows our recruiting prowess that we're still in top five and getting recruits from without throughout the nation and not just in Georgia. Well, I think that Kirby also goes – he's not necessarily somebody that says, well, you know, I got to have a five-star. You know, I got to have a four-star. I mean, he can coach up. You can take a, a player that's a two- and a three-star and turn him into a five-star. It's just making sure you have the right – uh, talent there, the potential that he sees on the field to be able to, you know, work that up. And I mean, unless you're somebody like, and I have to use Justin Fields as an example, you know, that, that came in uh, from high school having great potential, but didn't mesh with the offense and then goes somewhere else and meshes uh, much, you know, much better. So, you know, I think it's all about the talent you get and how you implement that into your offense. So, you know, we'll see what he does with these with these stars. I think that he's going to do you know great this year, especially bringing in people that weren't necessarily from Georgia, because a lot of these guys, from what I read, were from Florida area. Oh yeah, and then uh, he hired an assistant, uh, a new assistant offensive coordinator. We still, as of right now, have our offensive coordinator, but he kind of hired an assistant offensive coordinator to help him out. Oh, so Coley, so Coley has somebody that, now? I think if I read this right, Coley is going to kind of have some help. And then, of course, our new offensive line coach is going to bring some, you know, some new blood, some little something new too also to the game. Gotcha. That's pretty cool then. I mean, you know, James Coley, he's got a lot of potential. I think he does a great job with – the offense, um, but I still think that, you know, Kirby has a lot of his hands on it, which is something he needs to pull back from and let Coley kind of, you know, take over it and let him do his thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, of course, we've played our old offensive coordinator already this past year, and we beat him. But, you know, everybody's wanting Coley to be the next Shanahan like he, Shanahan was to the Falcons. Yeah. They, that, that, that's their eyes, and that's what they want. Yeah, no, that definitely, that definitely makes sense 100%. Well, I mean, most of you know, we talk about some of those other new kids, but I think the biggest news, and not really necessarily news, but I think the biggest thing that everybody's talking about in Georgia is losing Rodrigo Blankenship. That's one thing that everybody's talking about, how we're not – where's the next kicker? Do we have somebody else that's going to be able to – do anything that Nerd's been able to do this year. I mean, how do you replace somebody like that? It's probably the best kicker in, in Georgia history. So here comes this guy, Jared Zirkel. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him. Have you heard of him? Haven't heard of him, uh, but the name the name sounds like <laughs> I was the same thing when I read it. I was like, that name right there sounds like he should probably be playing like uh, professional soccer or something, right? It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, 
Zirkle, of course, I can already hear the, you know, the orange teams calling them Urkel. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's going to be done, but he can prove them wrong. Yeah, I mean, he can still get that name and it'd be, you know, have a positive connotation regardless of, of what uh, negative it's come with in the past. But one thing I will tell you is that I did a little research on this guy, Zirkle, and I'll post the video later on. I've got it saved here, but I'll post it on the Facebook. This kid actually kicked a 65-yard field goal last year. Ooh. I know, right? I said the same thing. I was like, oh, I mean, if he can kick a 65-yard field goal, we'll take him. Oh, yeah, I mean, 65 as a high schooler? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Of course. I mean, you know, he had a lot of time to kick it when you watch the – it's the film's blurry, too, because I don't know, it must have been taken on somebody's – camera phone from 2008 little flip phone or something who knows but you can clearly see the you know ball being kicked you can see it flying and it going through and the ref saying it was good so uh it, it's crazy that it was like i say 65 yards i don't think i've seen in a high school football game and i mean it may happen and i just missed it but i haven't seen it yeah i haven't heard of that that's i mean that that's a leg, and of course, at the college level, you know he's, he'll get more practice, and of course, better coaching. Maybe, you know, he he'll be a threat from any place on the field beyond the thirty-yard line. Yeah, I agree, and that's another one of those uh, plays that I uh, look in that book, that Dooley's playbook, um, is a kicker that we had in like the fifties or sixties. I can't remember the specific year, but uh, he talked. Dooley talked about how the kid would yeah, every 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 time the team would get past the 50 yard line that that kicker would be in front of Dooley pacing just letting Dooley know that he's there if you need him he'll kick the field goal and he can make it every time um and the kid was was a threat like I say anytime they got past the 50 he was there ready to kick it yeah I mean that's that's good to have in your back pocket we've seen how many college games come down to a field goal and to have a kicker that can normally kick it 50 something yards make it no sweat that's a great, like, ace in the card yeah, right there. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Well, our next topic, obviously, is the QB situation here. Fromm has regressed. We talked about that. He's definitely not the Fromm we've seen uh, in, in the past in the Rose Bowl in the National Championship two years ago. And, you know, going into the draft early, like I said, it may help him as he would be going into the fifth, possibly sixth position as far as QB goes. And analysts are saying, you know, if he goes, where does that leave Georgia? So a couple of options are we, we've seen redshirt sophomore Stinson uh, Bennett. We've seen him on the scout team. He's kind of become, you know, the secondary uh, backup quarterback there in Athens. If Fromm goes down, he kind of comes in the game pretty quickly. And he had a couple of good plays we've seen, you know, from him. But we also have a couple of others. So I did some research. We have Nathan Presley, John Stetter. Jess Sutherland, and then Dewan Mathis. And then you probably remember Dewan Mathis, Donnie. He's the one that had the brain surgery to remove the cyst um, after he had issues with migraines after moving down to, to, to Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, I actually read up on that. And uh, his father his father said if he wouldn't have came to Georgia, he probably wouldn't have been alive. Uh, coming to UGA saved his life because – of Emory University and the University of Georgia had her kind of tied together and one of the best medical schools in the nation. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um, I probably read the same thing you read. His dad mentioned how thankful he was that Kirby came up to recruit him um, because it was something that he really never experienced. And, you know, coming down here exposed him to, you know, the pollen and the atmosphere that, you know, caused a lot of that stuff. So, he, they may have seen it down the road, but it and it, and it may they may have not though. It may have been something that he could have just been having headaches or migraines and started taking medicine, and then never really knew about it or or was playing football. And I mean, there's a lot of different variables that could have happened, unfortunately, in in college football. But like like you said, his dad was very very thankful that he he brought himself down to to Georgia. So you know, the question in hand, I think here, is whether or not he will be able to play and if he'll be able to play with the same type of, uh, you know, talent 
or ability more or less than he he was before the surgery. Yeah, uh, I think he should if they let him play. Uh, he's been, you know, on the practice squad, not been able to take hits, but he's been able to still get reps in, which is a one of the most important things. And uh, if they say he's, you know, healthy to play and, you know, healthy to take hits, I think he'll be take the quarterback position because good size, good arm. And then, you know, hopefully one of the quarterbacks would come in. They'll take a red shirt. Yeah. You know, I want him to play, to be honest. I, I went to G-Day myself this past year, uh, the wife, and, and I went there, um, took the kid to go check it out. And, you know, he looked really good, to be honest. I mean, he looked a lot like Justin Fields did when he first came in. You know, very lengthy and able to run, able to throw. He's got a great arm, but his ability to read defenses was something that he didn't have a whole lot of experience in. I don't know that comes with time. It's not something that, you know, you can get right out the gate. But, you know, if if the coaches are working with him on a daily basis to get past that and the brain surgery went went good and he's able to recover from that, you know, 100%, I think he'd be a great quarterback. I just – I wonder – I wonder the mentality. I know he's a, a great competitor. I mean, I read plenty of stuff that talked about how, you know, he was a great competitor in high school. But I wonder, because, you know, brain surgery changes everybody differently. So I wonder what type of mentality, you know, he has now. Yeah, well, hopefully he'll still have the uh, player mentality. But but if it comes to he can't play, you know, he'll never be able to play football again. I hope Georgia says keep him on a practice squad or keep him on a scholarship and let him finish out his, you know, college career at Georgia and let him get a degree in something. Yeah, I agree with that 100% uh, with him coming down and having to go through what he did. I would think that you'd still keep him on some type of scout team that way because, I mean, either way you look at it, putting a defense against somebody like that, even if you're not taking hits, is a good way to get your defense some practice against that type of quarterback. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of these kids, you know, it, they don't – this is a good, you know, story for them. Hey, you're great at football, but life happens. And if the school takes care of him like that, letting him get a degree and all and finish out, that would be a positive note for Georgia – altogether and future recruiting oh most definitely yeah no I agree with that side of it as well and you know you know one has to think that you know coming up in the 2020 season um, even if he's not able to play Kirby's got something in his back pocket he's that type of coach that you know he's not gonna have a backup plan so enter Carson Beck now I talked a little bit about this with you Donnie over the past week before the podcast kind of prepping for it but he he comes from Jacksonville which is a home of the Gators and I know it was something the fans were, you know, shouting about on social media, like, hey, you know, we stole somebody from, from the Gators' home country uh, backyard, more or less. And, you know, they were really proud about that. But, you know, Beck honestly looks a lot like Clem- uh, Clemson's Lawrence without all that blonde hair. I mean, the only thing that's a little different here is, uh, like I say, the hair and his facial features. But they're both right around 6'6 and about 220. So they're good size, good length quarterbacks. Uh, of course, we're going to have to get rid of the uh, cutoff jean shorts from them. You know, being from Jacksonville, that's their, <laughs> you know, attire of choice. So that's that, that's got to go. But yeah, I, I mean, don't know if he came over with his shorts or not. I know uh, I saw some pictures and and he was wearing the regular uh, practice shorts that he had on. I don't think he had anything that would had anything to do with. Uh, with their normal attire, attire that we see down there in the swamp. All right, yeah, because, you know, that's got to stay down there in the swamp. We, we're, we're khakis up here. We wear khakis Khakis and polo. Khakis and polo, that's right. Now, he is able but, to uh, scramble. Now, uh, some of the tape I watched, I watched about, I don't know, 35, 35 40 minutes of his tape uh, in high school. And he, I'll tell you what, he can they, – they call him a pocket passer. You know, he's a standard quarterback. But he can also scramble, and, and while he's scrambling it, throw it at about 40 to 50 yards down the field. So, he's, I mean, he's got a good sidearm throw on him, which is awesome. I mean, he'll, which he is, looks a lot like, say, Lawrence. I mean, he can stay in the pocket and shoot these lasers out, or he can, you know, scramble if he's, if he's getting pressured. 
and get out there and throw it. Which is one thing we were lacking, you know, from with all this positives of being able to read defenses and make adjustments on the line. That's kind of the one thing we he was lacking is that long arm and they get out of the pocket and being able to throw it downfield. Yeah, you could tell uh, Fromm was more comfortable sitting back in the pocket being like a Brett Favre or somebody that didn't really scramble very often or a Peyton Manning, you know, just if he can't get it off in that, you know, four or five seconds, then it was pretty much over. Yeah. So, and, you know, the way the college football is changing, you want a kind of the passer that's a pro style, but that can scramble that can scramble and get the ball off because look what LSU did to us. The guy broke two tackles from Georgia and was still able to get the ball off for a touchdown. Yeah, which is crazy in my mind when you think about LSU in general because of where they've been and what quarterbacks they've had in the past. It's just something that they haven't been doing year over year. They typically have a quarterback that sits back and they, you know, LSU is a much different team. You know, and I will say, and uh, before I get into that, actually, um, the rumor I talked about earlier, because I, I, I want to mention this, Eason coming back, so I was look, just pulled it up now. Apparently, he's entered into the draft. He's not going to play his last year uh, at, at Washington, and he most likely won't play in their bowl game either. So, you know, at this point, at this point, I don't think that – he will continue to go. But in in other news, I do want to mention some stuff out of Baton Rouge. Um, Five-star Rakeem Jarrett, he had been committed to LSU since April of this year, okay? And now he's done flipped to Maryland. That's an odd flip. Maryland to Maryland right and so the news that I read the different articles and Twitter that uh, I read talked a lot about the staff down there in Baton Rouge and and the comments were honestly a little alarming and it was a completely opposite of what Mr. Heisman uh, Burrow had said when he was standing up there taking the uh, the podium at the Heisman ceremony they talked a lot about how the trust was broken down there at LSU and how they weren't very trustworthy. I haven't read anything on that. Uh, have they been kind of promising the kids coming in something and then changing it around once they get there? Yeah, it sounds more or less, uh, and they didn't give a whole lot of details. You know, it's not something that I'm sure they want anybody to know. And then, and he's not going to talk bad about the LSU staff, but. I think it had a lot to do with saying that you'd be able to play when you're when you get down there or the position that you would be playing is what it sounded like. But now that was just hearsay. So I don't know if it's true. Yeah, it could could be. uh, He didn't want to, you know, deal with the Louisiana heat. Yeah. and, And there were other stuff in there that talked about he wanted to be closer to home. But in any case to be committed for that long, it was like you were telling everybody for nine months that, Hey, I'm going to play at LSU. And then to just flip like that, uh, it's just insane. Especially when you, you see what happened to LSU throughout the season and where they, where they took themselves, winning the SEC championship now in the playoffs could potentially win the national championship. And now you're just flipping to, to Maryland. I mean, there had, there was probably a ton of, of controversy right now. And he wasn't the only one from my, I haven't read any of the other posts, but there has been a couple of other recruits that's flipped from um, LSU to somebody else. So it makes me question, were they saying, oh yeah, you'll play this year, you'll be on starting team. And then they may have caught wind of got word of, well, maybe, you know, got some good receivers right now. You might have to sit out a year or you may get you may have to challenge for that position, something like that. Mm-hmm. When it got time time to sign, and like I said earlier, these kids want to play, and he probably seen you know, even though it's Maryland, he's going to play. And if he's a you know a five star wide receiver, he's going to get numbers. He's going to get on the ESPN. 
and that's what the kids wanting. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that 100%. And, you know, LSU's got a lot going on. The one thing, other thing that I've seen is that uh, Coach O came out during his press conference and talked about how he, what was, you know, they asked him a question, what what was the toughest opponents he'd seen all year? And he mentioned uh, Florida, Auburn, and Alabama. Those are the three teams that he said were his toughest opponents. Didn't even mention Georgia. I'm I'm surprised anybody understood his answer, but uh, before the championship game, he said we were going to be his toughest opponent. Now we're not. It's it's just really nothing but talk. He's always going to stick with the West. Usually, probably stick with the West teams, and probably he said Florida just as a dig for Georgia. Well, I don't know what he or why he changed his mind on you know what he said i know that a lot of people talk how talk about how he is more of just the head coach there he's great at recruiting he's great at motivation but for everything else he leaves in his assistant coach's hands he he doesn't really take part in the offensive schemes he doesn't take part in the defensive schemes he's not one of those people that are sitting next to the assistant coaches saying hey this is what i'm seeing you need to change this or or whatever it's He's the head coach, so he's going to motivate his players. He's going to go on the recruiting trail. He's going to be in the locker room right before the games, talking to players and making sure they're ready for the game, you know, emotionally and um, and being that motivational speaker. But other than that, he leaves everything else in, you know, the assistant coach's, you know, hands. So I think that that has a lot to do with the way people see LSU and the way the recruits see it too. So if if they don't, if the recruits are coming in saying, you know, I want Coach O to be that coach for me, but they're not going to be getting that one-on-one attention from the head coach, that could definitely change their mind. Yeah, and that's where, and that's where him and Kirby differ. You see, Kirby, he's one-on-one with these kids. You you see him in the locker room after big game wins, and you could tell he's he's still a player just like these kids he's he's still out there having fun with the kids yeah he'll one-on-one with him and raise Kane on the sideline to him but at the same time when they're doing good he's right there you know giving them that pat on the back keep it up good work well I think that Kirby also turns them from not only college football but also saying hey you know kids it isn't just about football. You have to have a life afterwards. So not only getting this degree and being a better person off the field is almost just as important as being a good player on the field. And I think that that's the mentality yeah. he's, you know, kind of invested into those players. Cause I mean, being a hometown boy, he's seen it, you know, he, he's seen, Hey, you're not all going to go to the pros. You're not. Some of you will, some of you won't. Some of you focus on your football's great. Get your education too. Right, exactly. Because look, look what happened to David Pollock. Went to the NF, went to the NFL. His neck got hurt. Never could play again. But he was able to fall back on kind of his education, and now working with ES, ESPN. It's. You know, he, he's still making a living. Yeah, I want to say that, that Pollock's been lucky, to be honest, because, you know, like you say, he was great in college. There's no denying that fact. But, you know, after he got into the, the pros, I think that kind of, you know, I don't want to say the injury helped him, but I think that he did. he's doing a lot better now than he would be if he was still playing NFL because it, the game's changed and I don't, I don't think that it would have been the same for him going through those. And, and it, unfortunately, you know, we don't know that. And I can sit here and assume what would have happened or what wouldn't have happened. But I think what's happened to him now, he's – Herbie said it too, Kurt Herbstreet, is that he has the best job in, in, in college sports. So, you know, I have to think David is too. Um, he doesn't do quite a lot of commentary, as much commentary as, as Herbstreet does, but – but man, they have some of the best jobs in the world. Let me let me let me take over for you one day. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're they're you know a lot of people wake up just to go to the SEC 
pregame show wherever they're at. Oh yeah. And and I mean he's one of the people that they go and see. Definitely. And to not have to not have to sit there and do commentary, but he does have to sit there and watch football. And the thing I appreciate about him, he's still neutral. Even when, you know, they went to Georgia, SEC and Gay Day went to Georgia and all, he still plays the neutral party. Yeah, I mean, I think David is definitely one of the more non-biased commentators that I've seen. Um, you know, everybody's seen the news about uh, CBS leaving the uh, primetime game. So we're, we're, I'm literally looking forward. I know there's a clap. You're clapping right now. So everybody, yeah. unfortunately, we have to wait till 2023 to for no more Dar- uh, Gary Danielson. But uh, I, I think it's something very positive to look forward to in the future. I'm ready to actually watch the game instead of commercials. Yeah, 110%. 110%. Well, I don't really have anything else, Donnie. I mean, I want to make sure to mention if you um, if you like this podcast, make sure you go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can also go on Google Podcasts and leave us a review as well. If you have questions, comments, concerns, you can leave us a voice message on the Anchor app if you're listening to us on that. You can leave us a or send us a, a email, excuse me, at cfjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook, College Football Junkie, so you can go on that page as well and shoot us a like or a comment. Uh, share us with your friends and family that also like college football. And I want to let you know, I mean, college football may be coming to an end here in the next couple of weeks, but we're still going to be out here. We're going to be, you know, researching these different types of teams. We're going to do a different podcast. Um, each week on each specific team. We started with Georgia this week uh, and we'll have, you know, coming, we'll have some games coming up. So we're going to talk about them too, but we're also going to talk about each team and we're going to get dig down a little bit deeper into the recruiting trail and what's going on in, in each specific college and, and how that really shapes that college. So make sure you stay tuned. Don, did you have anything else to add? Uh, Happy holidays, everybody. Oh, yeah, happy holidays. I meant to mention in the beginning, this is our Christmas episode. I hope everybody had a, a Merry Christmas and got lots of gifts, enjoyed family, and ate some really good food. So, um, you know, Don. Hope you didn't, go ahead. Hope you didn't get cold in your stocking. You know, it happens sometimes. <laughs> if you did get cold, maybe it was some of that uh, that chocolate coal. You know, you open it up and it's got some chocolate inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us uh, for Scott and Donnie uh, here at College Junkie Podcast. Y'all have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. Have a great one, everybody.